From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research. State attorneys general have sent a letter to President Biden warning him that unilateral actions taken by the EEOC and the Department of Education, quote, harms the rule of law and undermines the legitimacy of these executive agencies, end quote. The agencies are seeking to force schools and businesses to open up bathrooms, locker rooms, and showers to people, including children, based upon what gender they claim. But there's even more, and we'll talk about it in just a moment. On Friday, President Biden issued a series of executive orders the White House said was aimed at big tech. Here's a clip of what he had to say. Commits the federal government to full and aggressive enforcement of antitrust laws. No more tolerance for abusive actions by monopolies. But is it really just another power grab by the federal government? We'll talk about it with Craig Parshall special counsel for the American Center for Law and Justice. And over the weekend, former Defense Secretary Leon Panetta had this to say about the COVID-19 vaccine and the military. I frankly think the president ought to issue an order requiring everybody in the military to get uh, a COVID-19 shot, period. Uh, that, that's, a, that's an issue involving our national security. And not everyone is snapping to attention at those words. Alabama Congressman Mo Brooks, a member of the House Armed Services Committee, is here with a different opinion. And you would think that officials overseeing public education could see the handwriting on the wall. Parents are not happy with classroom indoctrination and the radical policies they're pushing. But are they backing off? No, they're doubling down. Meg Kilgannon joins me with the latest in public education a little later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com, if you're on the free speech platform of Gab, it is at Tony underscore Perkins. And let me encourage you to, uh, to download the Stand Firm app. That way you can stay informed and involved with what is happening in our nation's uh, capital and in state legislatures across the country. This way, not only can you listen to Washington Watch, but when you need to take action, we'll send you alerts giving you the action steps, who you need to contact, what you need to say, what's at stake. Remember, our republic was made for participants, not spectators. So download the Stand Firm app and uh, you can find out uh, more about what is happening. Okay, um, 21 state attorneys general have uh, sent a letter to the Biden administration raising concerns about the executive orders that were issued during the month of June, the Gay Pride Month. This is where uh, all the federal agencies got in line with the Biden agenda. And this was all based upon a Supreme Court decision, Bostock versus Clayton County. Now, just to refresh your memory, this was a very limited case that had to do with employment law and transgenderism, that you could not um, fire or terminate someone uh, that was, in this case, a male who dressed like a female, period. That was it. It did not go beyond that, but the Biden administration is interpreting this to go much further, not only taking it beyond Title VII, which is employment law, but now applying it to Title IX, which is the law regarding education, federal statutes regarding education. In particular, Title IX has long been, uh, it covers women's sports, the fact that it gives women equal opportunities to go out there and play sports and be competitive. Well, they have just torpedoed that. And here's the thing. The attorney generals are making it, the attorneys general are making issue of this because they did not follow the law. Uh, here to talk more about this, Meg Kilgannon, uh, who is uh, our senior fellow for education studies here at the Family Research Council. She's going to be back later in the program as well. But, Meg, I, I want to take this on because this is pretty big news that uh, almost half of the states are challenging 
these, these uh, directives that are coming from federal agencies? It's really great news, frankly, Tony, because um, when the Department of Education issued its statement that's a gross misinterpretation of what Title IX means, Title IX uh, refers to sex, the biological sex. It doesn't have anything to do with gender identity or sexual orientation. It's to protect women and to give women the same opportunity as men in sports and in education. So this interpretation from the department is, is just wrong. It's, it's a gross overstep. So we're very grateful to the attorney generals, that the, the attorneys general, that they have come forward and made this statement, pointing out all the flaws in the reasoning from the Department of Education. Um, I have a letter in my office from the ACLU in Nebraska that is uh, threatening a school board with legal action if they don't create a policy based on the erroneous interpretation of Title IX that the Department of Education has put out. And so it is wonderful that these yeah. attorneys general are putting this statement out so that the school boards that do not want to go along with this policy have reasonable defense. That's a really, really good point because we've actually raised that before where, for instance, the IRS has put out this, and, and all, almost always when a federal agency puts out guidance, it's, it's very nebulous. It's uh, very, there's just a lot of gray area. It, but it allows these other entities, for instance, under the IRS and churches, we've often seen the Freedom From Religion Foundation take this and exploit it right. uh, and intimidate churches with it. The same thing happening here in education. But the attorneys general say there are two key aspects that they take issue with over the separate guidance coming both from the Department of uh, Education and the EEOC. And here are the two issues that they take uh, issue with that is in this technical assistance document, which is what it's called. One states that employers may not deny an employee equal access to a bathroom, locker room, or shower that corresponds to the uh, employee's uh, declared gender. Right. Now, of course, this is this we're talking now in the workplace. We're not talking about the right. school schools. So this is one of the issues. But here's another one uh, that's of concern: is that this states the use of a pronoun or a name that is inconsistent with the individual's gender identity could be considered harassment and open the business up to legal action by the federal government. Right. This is, of course, just a, a gross overstep, right? This is just a, a, a ridiculous overreach on the part of the federal government to, to regulate uh, people's speech, to regulate their behavior. And uh, I, I'm very, very happy that the attorneys general are defending against that kind of uh, yeah, attempt. Because the, the court case that I made reference to earlier, the Bostock case, only dealt with the issue of employment right. termination for a transgender individual. It had nothing to do with showers and bathrooms. Correct. In fact, the court specifically did not go there. Yes. Also, they did not take up the issue of pronouns and, uh, you know, make-believe names that uh, people would say, because even the attorneys general made uh, the issue here that there are those out there now that have made up a host of pronouns right. that are, quite frankly, are insane. <laughs> and, and so will an employee, or employer rather, uh, be liable and be potentially have legal action taken against them by the federal government if they don't play this make-believe uh, and use these uh, made-up pronouns? Well, I, I mean, it, it's, it's you know, you could argue that it's not that hard to go by they or them as opposed to he or she, but when you are making up entire words and vocabulary, Z, Zer, and all of these really literally made-up pronouns, uh, it, it seems, uh, you know, a bit much. Well, it's like a minefield. Uh, yes. which they're creating. And again, the Bostock case held only that firing an employee because of the employee's sexual orientation or transgender status constitutes discrimination on the basis of sex under Title VII. They did not, they did not address Title IX at all, which is what governs education. So now the Department of Education is trying to take this Bostock case 
without going through, and, and you can speak to this because you were in the Department of Education right. on the Trump administration, there is a process by which a federal agency changes rules. Correct. They're just doing this they're, out of nothing. This is their favorite play, the Dear Educator or the Dear Colleague letter. This is this is how they make they they do government on the left. Um, instead of going through the rulemaking process and hearing public comment and and having the mediation that takes place at the Department of Education in the rulemaking process, they just by edict send the Dear Colleague letter out and say this is what you can do. Uh, and we expect you to follow these rules, and they know that they have their echo chamber on the left right. in the form of the ACLU and all of the other and groups and the, media. and the media who will go along with all of this and make it very difficult for people, uh, you know, who disagree. Right. Uh, and we're allowed to disagree now, in now our I, society. Now, I would say there's probably a lot in the education system like briar rabbit, you know, throw me into that briar patch. <laughs> yes. Uh, they're, they're happy to be sure. thrown into that, and this gives them They're the already excuse. doing it, right? Yeah, right. They're already but doing it. But to your point earlier, uh, we thank the Lord for attorney generals who are, attorneys general, who are willing to stand up and challenge us. And so, yes. uh, folks, let me just, I'm going to run down the states here that have attorneys uh, attorney generals that are stepping forward. This was actually led by uh, Slattery, Attorney General Slattery of Tennessee. We have Steve Marshall from Alabama, uh, Alaska Attorney General Taylor. Uh, we have the Arizona Attorney General. We have the Arkansas Attorney General. We have the Georgia Attorney General, the Idaho Attorney General, uh, Indiana's Attorney General, Todd uh, Rokita, who has been on the program many times, Derek Smith, Attorney General of Kansas, uh, we have uh, Daniel Cameron, Kentucky, uh, Jeff Landry, my home state of Louisiana, uh, Lynn Fitch, uh, Mississippi, uh, Attorney General Schmidt of Missouri. Uh, we've got uh, Montana, Nebraska, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Texas, uh, and West Virginia. So if your attorney general from your state is not on this letter, you should ask them why. Uh, in fact, I'll try to get this letter posted uh, on my website so you can see it, because they actually make a, a really good analysis of these two uh, technical, administ technical administrative letters that were sent that, as you say, just really confuse and intimidate right. and allow the left uh, to use this to beat up schools and businesses. Exactly, exactly. And the, 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 the Additional point I would make is if you're sitting on a school board in any one of those states and interest groups are are bullying you into adopting a transgender policy that you don't want to adopt, you know that that, that attorney general has your back. Right. And you can absolutely yes, and legitimately ex resist. Extremely important. That is extremely important. And even if you're in a state that's not on this list, you can still point to this letter as a great reason for why the law isn't settled that science yeah. isn't settled around this issue, and you don't have to do it right now just because the Department of Education that, that says so. That is a really good point on the attorneys general because that's why uh, George Soros and others funded a project to try to get uh, attorneys generals elected right. liberals. So if you're in the state, you, this is an important post to fill, especially now where you've got a federal government hostile to the Constitution, the rule of law, and your values, you can count on your Attorney General, if he's good, she, to support you. All right, Meg, don't go too far because you're coming back a little bit later in the program. And folks, don't go, don't go away. We're going to be talking about the President's power grab that he announced on Friday. We're back after this. When it comes to reading the Bible, sometimes it can be difficult to know where to start or to understand how to apply scripture to everyday life. There are also those passages that leave people scratching their heads, wondering what some things even mean and what they're supposed to make of it. We all know that scripture is divinely inspired and given by God, and it's useful to us as God uses it to prepare and equip us to do good work for his kingdom, to grow us and to bring us closer to him. God's word is powerful, but it shouldn't intimidate you. 
That's why Family Research Council offers the Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. It's a two-year plan that helps you read the Bible daily so you can stay grounded in God's truth, navigate our culture from a biblical worldview, and grow closer to God. This plan will help you to practice the discipline of reading scripture every day so you can be transformed by God's word. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org slash Bible. God is the author of life and has created man in his image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass legislation that highlights this principle, including laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know if your state legislators are working to protect unborn babies. The pro-life laws FRC tracks at the state level include those addressing late-term abortions, fetal dignity, defunding abortion businesses, and providing medical care for babies born alive after an attempted abortion. See where your state stands on pro-life abortion. Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org slash pro-life maps. Most Americans believe they have a biblical worldview, but current research shows that only 6% actually have one. This means that most of our friends and neighbors, including those who attend church, don't think about the day's moral and cultural issues through a biblical lens. Increasingly, we see the disastrous effects of a culture that has rebelled against the truth of God's Word. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. This center is an exciting new ministry created to help Christians develop and live by a biblical worldview, to understand why scriptures must be authoritative, and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. The experts at FRC's Center for Biblical Worldview provide research and resources to help prepare believers to give a biblical answer to our culture's most pressing questions. Access the center's free resources at frc.org slash worldview. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us on this Monday afternoon. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Another, another resource for you. Uh, I mentioned this last week, but I want to put it out there for you again. Just recently, the Family Research Council launched our Center for Biblical Worldview, and we take a look at the issues from, guess what, a biblical worldview. We look at what the Scripture has to say, chapter and verse. Now, this is not something we would necessarily put out on Capitol Hill when we debate these measures, but it is the foundation from which we debate, and we need to know the truth. We need to know the source of our authority. And so this is very helpful in having conversations in small groups and your Sunday school uh, classes, uh, great resource for pastors as you preach on these issues, which I hope you do. But if you'd like to uh, get plugged in with our Center for Biblical Worldview, text the word worldview. That's one word, the word worldview to 67742, 67742. That's one word, worldview. And uh, just uh, you, for the uh, terms, the text terms and conditions in our privacy policy, visit frc.org slash text for uh, those policies. Okay. Uh, last Friday, it's interesting how things happen on Friday afternoons, but uh, Friday, President Biden signed a new sweeping executive order, according to the Wall Street Journal, quote, to encourage regulatory agencies such as the Federal Trade Commission to atop, adopt new rent rules and policies to rein in the growing size and power of large tech platforms, end quote. Now, that sounds good. It sounds like the things that we have been concerned about with the growing power of big tech. In fact, you'll recall last week, former President Trump announcing a lawsuit against uh, big tech uh, Facebook, Twitter for knocking him off and so many other conservative voices. So no question that immense power has been consolidated into the hands of big tech, which now uh, essentially are controlling access to the virtual public square. Now, I know they're private. 
Uh, so the First Amendment does not apply to them as it does to the government. I get that. But they are whole, they, I mean, they're acting as if they are the virtual public square. Plus, as we talked about last week, they have been given immunity from being sued. If, like, um, you know, if they don't allow someone in or they knock someone off, you can't take them to court. Because Congress has given them special standing. They have immunity. So anyway, uh, last week, Joe Biden, President Biden on Friday, announces these executive orders. Um, but, but, is this, is there something else here? Is this a power grab by the federal government? Uh, we're going to be um, Craig Parshall, who is uh, with um, let me see. He is with the Center for Law and Justice, and he is a constitutional uh, expert. In fact, he's been tracking these issues of uh, the First Amendment freedom for a long time. He is formerly with the uh, the NRB. Uh, do we have our guest? Uh, I don't think we have. We're, I don't think we've connected with him just yet. But we're going to get him on uh, and look at what this executive order actually does. Does it rein in? The, uh, these big tech companies, or does it actually consolidate more power within the hands of the federal government? Uh, on Friday, uh, House uh, Republican Whip Steve Scalise uh, says that this is nothing but a throwback to net neutrality and gives the government more control over the Internet. He also pointed out that this order lacks any type of teeth of enforcement and it's simply, uh, as I said, the government trying to take over the Internet. But, but something's got to be done. When you see how, uh, as, um, as Josh Hawley describes, these are the new barons of the 21st century, the robber barons, uh, who are picking winners and losers, and they're controlling speech. You know, it, it's, it's one thing to control the economy, which the robber barons did, uh, and the turn of the 20th century. But now we have these big tech companies that are controlling your ability, my ability to communicate. I mean, literally, this is how we communicate today on these uh, social media platforms. And if we can't have a conversation or it's just one side that is having access to the platforms, that's frightening. But so is the idea that the federal government would be controlling that platform. I don't want the federal government to control it either. I think the best approach is what had been proposed previously. In fact, the Republicans put in that proposal, we talked about it last week, uh, to eliminate the immunity that the big tech companies have, that they would have to defend their actions in court just like anyone else if they silence someone or they prohibit access, that they have to justify that by standing up in court. That's uh, Section uh, 230. That would be the best thing to do is just eliminate uh, that provision of the federal statute that gives them a free pass. But again, that's not what uh, Joe Biden, I don't think we're going to get uh, our guest, we're having problems connecting with him. So that is not the direction that uh, the Biden administration is is going. So we'll, we'll continue to watch this. Uh, okay, I think we connected with him. Uh, Craig, welcome uh, to the program. Thank you, Tony. Great uh, issue, important issue. Thanks for touching on it. All right, so what does the Biden executive order actually do? Well, uh, it's a broadsword rather than a scalpel. Let me just say this. Uh, Section 230 is a real problem for these big tech monopolies that are controlling online speech, particularly of conservatives. Uh, but this EO addresses so much more than that. As a matter of fact, it touches on health care platforms. It uh, talks about agriculture and cattle stockyards. It talks about the airline industry in terms of uh, reduce or increasing competition and uh, restricting monopolies. It has only a few lines about so-called online platforms, none by name, but we all know who the big uh, right. tech platforms hey. are that are... 
Pretty conservative. Craig, we're we're up against a break. Can you hold on just a second? I'm going to come back and and uh, and I, we'll, we'll try to wrap this up. Uh, but if you'll stick around there, thanks. folks, stick around. We're going to I'm going to let Craig uh, continue to uh, to give us insight into what this executive order actually did and how it falls short of what needs to be done. So don't go away. More Washington Watch on the other side of this break. Are you looking for a go-to platform where you can get relevant commentary on the cultural issues of the day from a biblical perspective? Today, it can be hard to find this in light of media censorship of conservative and Christian voices. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every American has a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. And we think it's important for you to have access to these stories. To get the facts and stories the left doesn't want you reading, head over to frc.org blog to check out our newest blog posts. We cover the issues you care about, all written by our experts in policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview. Our experts unpack the topics that other media platforms won't, like current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the increasingly radical shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, go to frc.org slash blog. We're seeing more and more cases of censorship and the canceling of many conservatives and Christians by big tech companies. To combat this, Family Research Council has chosen to be proactive before big tech tries to censor or cancel us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom, even if big tech tries to silence us. It's easy. You just sign up for the text alerts by texting STAND to 67742, and you'll get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and FRC will keep you looped in on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll get information on our upcoming events and programs. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for faith, family, and freedom, and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So good to have you with us. Website, TonyPerkins.com. Craig Parshall, Special Counsel, American Center for Law and Justice. My guest talking about uh, President Biden's uh, sweeping executive order that he issued on Friday dealing with big tech. All right, Craig, as we were coming into the break, you're talking about it's, uh, it, it, it goes after a lot more than big tech. But does it really address the issue that so many of us have concerns about with big tech? No, no, absolutely bypasses that. It says uh, that the Federal Trade Commission is to consider uh, investigating and researching whether or not big tech companies like uh, Facebook, Twitter, Google, Apple, and Amazon, uh, the ones that are engaging in active conservative suppression of speech, something not mentioned in the CEO, by the way, uh, whether they are monopolistic in terms of uh, suppressing competition, not suppressing free speech. And that's the issue. Uh, yes, they are anti-competitive, uh, but more important than competition to the marketplace of products and services is the marketplace of ideas. And this EO says nothing about the suppression of free speech by these handful of silicon giants. Now, clarify for our audience, are big tech companies like Facebook, Twitter, uh, they're not subject to the First Amendment? As private businesses, they are. Uh, they are not. Uh, in other words, the First Amendment was designed to control the activities of government suppressing private speech rather than private companies suppressing uh, private speech. However, when you have a private company that uh, accumulates market dominance to the extent that these companies that I've mentioned have, then the Supreme Court says different rules apply if it really harms consumers. And I think there's nothing that harms consumers in this country more than freedom of being suppressed, particularly during political elections. I mean, they, they have 
by de facto, uh, they, they become the virtual public square. I mean, this is where people go to have conversations, and they're choosing who gets in and who gets out. And because of Section uh, 230, no one can take issue with it. I mean, you don't have any recourse. After a case has been brought, as you know, President Trump is a law against these giants himself. But case after case, the U.S. District or even state courts have kicked these cases out because Section 230 rate here. Uh, they give almost against all lawsuits to these big tech monopolies. Uh, and you can't get your day in court, uh, which is why Congress, which created the problem, on, uh, intentionally, you know, 1996, look at where we were in the Internet compared to where we are now. Right. These companies really didn't uh, exist the way they do now. So Congress needs to fix this. Uh, but in the interim, if the president, President Biden, is going to do anything, he needs to address the most precious commodity we've got, and that is not just competition in the marketplace, but the freedom of speech of individuals on these giant monopolistic uh, platforms that control so much speech, uh, speech uh, that, as we know, they can impact elections. They can impact public opinion on a variety of issues because people aren't getting both sides. So, Craig Parshall, is this just a power grab on behalf of the federal government with what Joe Biden did? If you look at what they are proposing, back to the old Obama days of uh, uh, net neutrality. Net neutrality was a way of controlling not these Silicon Valley giants, but controlling the gatekeepers that get us on and off the Internet highway, Comcast, AT&T, you know, the big telecom company, or if you pay the price to get on. There's no proof they've ever discriminated viewpoints or opinions ever. Why would we regulate them but ignore it, continue to give a free pass to these big tech platforms. Again, Facebook, Twitter, Google, Amazon, and Apple. So a misdiagnosis by the Biden administration over what is the remedy for what is uh, ailing free speech in this country on these social media platforms. Patients on the table and uh, is a dangerous condition, and the doctor is uh, is looking at the wrong textbook and prescribing the wrong medication and the wrong. All right. Uh, Craig Parshall kind of broke up there on us on the end. Thanks so much for joining us. As always, great to talk with you. Thank you much. All right. So there you have it. Uh, There's a problem, but this is not the solution for uh, what is ailing free speech in this country when it comes to the social media platform. So this, again, is where... Folks, elections have consequences. Now, I don't want to be—I um, don't want to be negative. I want to be, but I am going to be realistic. You, you have to look at everything that's coming out of this administration with suspicion. And if they say they're addressing a problem, I mean, I, when I first saw this on Friday, I said, "Hey, maybe they're doing something." I did give them the benefit of the doubt until I read it. Then I realized, no, <laughs> they didn't fix it. They're not even close to fixing it. That's why we need a Congress, we need a Congress that will stand up for the Constitution and for the people and will pass reforms that, as Craig just stated, the Internet is a lot different than it was in 1996. I mean, it's not the same thing. I mean, how many of you remember that? I mean, I can remember it. I remember when I first got onto the Internet. Wow, the World Wide Web, that's pretty fascinating. They had to, you know, dial up. Well, it's not the same anymore. All right. Okay. Don't go away. We're coming back. Uh, Mo Brooks joins us to talk about mandated vaccines for the military. That's what Leon Panetta called for over the weekend. Don't go away. We're back with more after this. What is religious freedom and why should you care about it, both domestically and internationally? By definition, religious freedom is the freedom to hold religious beliefs of one's choice and to live according to those beliefs. At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. 
Religious persecution is a harrowing reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to mount in many regions of the world. God calls Christians to care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To learn more about this issue and what you can do to help, go to frc.org slash IRF to check out Family Research Council's latest resources on international religious freedom. Christians are called to seek after the Lord above all things. This means we must pray unceasingly, vote our biblical values, and boldly stand for truth. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission every Wednesday as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus their attention on the Lord in every aspect of their lives. Pray, Vote, Stand will help equip you to stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts, visit PrayVoteStand.org. That's PrayVoteStand.org. Want honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world? Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch. You can listen to the show whenever it works for you. Go to TonyPerkins.com to stream episodes on demand or listen by radio through American Family and Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, or independent Christian radio stations across the country. On the show, you'll hear from guests like Mike Pompeo, Senator Marsha Blackburn, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Ben Carson, Senator Josh Hawley, Sissy Graham Lynch, and more. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day by tuning into Washington Watch with Tony Perkins at TonyPerkins.com. Again, that's TonyPerkins.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch. Uh, yesterday on Greta Van Susteren's show, former Defense Secretary Leon Panetta was interviewed, and this is what he had to say about the military and the COVID-19 shot. Clip three, please. I frankly think the president ought to issue an order requiring everybody in the military to get uh, a COVID-19 shot period. Uh, that, that's, a, that's an issue involving our national hosts in the military that are our warriors, uh, unable to respond to a mission because they've gotten COVID-19. There's no excuse for that. When I was in the Army, I got every shot required by the military, shots in both arms as well as everywhere else. There is no reason we should not require a COVID-19 shot for everyone in the military, period. And I don't want to tra- I don't want to go down this rabbit trail, but when I, when I when I saw that, I thought, really, you know, I, what about those individuals that are getting the transgender hormones and surgeries that uh, are not able to um, be activated? They, they they can't. They're they're basically unable to do the job that they joined the military to do. What uh, what would he say about that? Obviously, nothing. Uh, but I, I don't want to go there. I'm going to talk about this mandate. In fact, a uh, order basically uh, appears to have been leaked guidance that tells the Department of the Army, coming from the headquarters, telling Army units to be prepared for around September the 1st, mandated vaccines for all service members. Joining me now to talk about this is a member of the House Armed Services Committee, Congressman Mo Brooks. Uh, He is a co-sponsor of H.R. 3860, which is a bill that would uh, 
prohibit any requirement that a member of the armed forces receive a vaccination against COVID-19. Congressman Brooks, welcome back to the program. My pleasure. So you heard uh, former Defense Secretary Leon Panetta saying it ought to be mandated right now. I heard that. I respectfully disagree, keeping in mind that this is still designated an experimental vaccine. It's not received final approval from anybody. Certainly it's been distributed because of the risk associated with COVID-19 and the exigencies associated with that. Um, And I should also add that it's been pretty clear that there is a definite age difference in the effect of COVID-19. The older you are, the greater the risk. The younger you are, the lesser the risk. That's not to say there's no risk, but it is substantially lesser. And the people who are serving in our military are in that much lesser risk category because of their youth. So right now, as I see it, I very much prefer that our military personnel have the right to choose for themselves, exercise their free will, exercise their liberty to decide for themselves which risk they want to accept. Do they want to accept the risk of COVID-19, which for their age bracket is a much lower risk than for older age brackets, or do they want to accept the risk of adverse consequences from a COVID-19 vaccine? I hope that they'll make the right decision, whatever that may be, but it ought to be their decision in as much as it is a life and death one. You know, uh, Congressman, I I served in the Marine Corps, and I remember, as uh, Panetta made reference to, you you go through, you get all the shots, um, and you get them everywhere, but I got them a lot of places. Uh, Sore for a couple of days afterwards, but I don't recall ever, when I was in the Marine Corps, I don't ever recall being mandated to get a flu uh, shot. Um, it was just the, uh, you know, the, the, the big vaccines that you had to get. And, and I, I think we have to be reminded that this, this is not a vaccine. This is a shot. Um, isn't there a difference here? Well, to me, I'm not sure if there's that much difference between an injection or something that you might take orally or through some other means. Uh, to me, the impact is on the human body and the risk associated with that impact versus the risk associated with the impact of catching the illness that is sought to be prevented. And under the circumstances uh, that we face and we see, uh, again, given that the COVID-19 vaccine is still considered to be in a trial stage, we ought to defer to our adult men and women in uniform the decision on which risk they want to accept for their own bodies and their own lives. Now, it, to um, kind of unpack the fact that it is still under emergency application, it, uh, as, as I understand it, um, the FDA, once the companies have filed all their documentation for final license application for these vaccines, the FDA takes about 60 days to review the applications for full approval. Now, to my knowledge, according to the FDA, that's not been, uh, that, that documentation has not been filed yet. So what about this uh, leaked uh, order from the Army saying that be prepared for September the 1st for mandated vaccines? I don't see how they make that within the time frame in terms of it being uh, fully license and authorize and not be operating under this emergency provision? Well, I find it disconcerting that the military would have this kind of order already drafted and ready to unleash, uh, particularly insofar as it relates to a vaccine that has not been thoroughly vetted and tested. Now, once it gets thoroughly vetted and tested, uh, that changes the dynamics a little bit. Uh, You still got the issue, though, of the secondary effects, the adverse effects of taking the vaccine versus the risk associated with these youth of catching COVID-19. And I much prefer that we defer that to the liberty and freedom and good judgment of our military personnel, all of whom are adults. And I believe that they are mature enough to be able to make that decision for themselves. I never like the heavy hand of government intervening. And then finally, I should add that COVID-19's threat in America has lessened considerably since, say, uh, a year ago this time. 
And I'm not going to say that we've totally defeated COVID-19. No, we have not. But the number of people who are catching it way down compared to a year ago, the number of people who are dying from it way down from a year ago. And still, if I recall correctly, the average age of death for people who have purportedly died from COVID-19 is still well into the 70s, if not the lower 80s. It's somewhere right. in that very upper age uh, bracket. And that, that all tells me that we ought to defer to the sound judgment and discretion of our men and women in uniform who are already being asked to risk their lives on behalf of their country. And the question becomes, should we ask them to risk their lives on a vaccine that is still in the testing stage that has not received a final approval from anybody? Right. And uh, not, to, not to mention that the recovery rate is 98 percent, over 98 percent of those who uh, contract the virus. Uh, Mo Brooks, so good to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. My pleasure. Congressman uh, Mo Brooks of uh, Alabama, member of the House Armed Services Committee. All right, I want to go back to kind of where we started today's program, back to the topic of education. Uh, we were talking about the, the Biden administration pushing their radical transgender policy, you know, without basically just out of thin air, doing whatever the heck they want to do. Well, uh, they're not alone. Um, you would think that educators, these uh, officials in public education, would see the handwriting on the wall with parents filling to overflow school board meetings, uh, angry, pulling their kids out. I mean, so there's been a big decline in public education numbers. And by the way, it needs to go further. Uh, every God-fearing American needs to get their kids out of public schools because they're being indoctrinated by the left. Well, the latest is Chicago public schools are now offering condoms to kids 10 years and older. Joining me now with more details, Meg Kilgannon, uh, Senior Fellow for Education here at the Family Research Council. Meg, thanks for sticking around. Um, just when you think you've seen it all, uh, right. We get more. I mean, here here comes from the murder capital of the of the the country, Chicago, uh, gangland country. Now, ten year olds being given condoms, and I'm sure, I'm sure they're calling the parents first to ask them about it. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure they're not actually doing that. Unfortunately, um, the this is this story has just been one that. It's like an onion when you're peeling back the layers to try to figure out what's going on based on the media reports. The documentation that was available on the websites is uh, not available anymore about the actual policy. So um, going on the news reports that I've seen, the condoms will be available to, to ages 10 and up. So I don't know if that means vending machines in the bathroom or you have to actually ask the school nurse for a condom. Uh, but if I were a school nurse who was asked by a 10-year-old for a condom, um, I don't think I would hand that child one. I would be investigating why in the world a 10-year-old is uh, thinking that they need a condom. <laughs> what, what is going on in the life of that child? Uh, that's just not a world that I want to live in. I reject the entire premise of this. Right. So this is a policy adopted by the Chicago Public School Board of Education. Schools, and I quote, quote, must maintain a condom availability program for grades five and up to protect against sexually transmitted diseases, including HIV infections and unintended pregnancies. Uh, so each elementary school will be allotted 250 condoms uh, to start with. It's kind of a, you know, I guess that's a starter program. Uh, high schools will receive a thousand. Um, I, I thought our kid, I thought our kids went to school to learn how to read and write yes. uh, and do math in, in the. In fifth grade, I was cross-multiplying fractions, I think, and, and doing some uh, verb, new verb forms <laughs> in, in English class. This is, it did not involve anything like this. Um, 
the the issue too is is such a problem when adults make policies that make adults feel like they're doing something right. and completely ignore the needs of children. If if there's a if there's a, an issue with um, a rise in sexually transmitted diseases in the 10 to 11 age cohort. Um, you should not expect that a 10 or 11-year-old is going to be able to use a condom in a way that would prevent sexually transmitted diseases. That's a ridiculous premise. That is just ridiculous thinking. Children are being victimized if they are having sex at that age, and we should be, as adults, intervening on their behalf to stop the victimization. Well, you know, I not to get, again, I like to chase rabbits, but this is one where you look at what we did over the last year and a half because of a virus. Yes. We shut down schools. We closed down, uh, you know, classrooms. We, we closed down the economy. Made everybody wear a mask. You know, we were just talking about making everybody get vaccinated. Social distancing. Uh, you know, stay away, stay away. But we can't tell kids that they're not to engage right. in uh, challenge them healthy. at least not right. to do this, but rather we give them the accoutrements, the equipment to engage in it. In in behavior that is unhealthy, it is dangerous. Damaging. It is damaging. You know, they're just. So, Meg, this is just one example of other things that are happening in public education. To me, it looks like, and I know this stuff's been going on, so it's not like we're just now discovering it, but it just looked like they've gone crazy. Well, especially in the area of sex ed and making contraceptives available at school and talking about um, really... um, beyond the pale topics in sex ed, that's been going on for a number of years. But it's and like it's, it's on steroids. It's, it's, it's now, it's some for some reason, and thanks be to God, it's being exposed. But right? it, it, so could, we can, it, could it also be accelerating because they feel like they have the, the cover of a Biden administration that has made this a top priority? Well, I, I don't imagine the Secretary of Education is going to intervene and ask them why they're doing this. Right. right? He's going to say... Yes, please. Let's have some more. So um, this is this is absolutely the case that that they all cover each other, right? They right. they one leads one thing leads to the next, and they know that they won't be questioned by the media. They won't be questioned by groups on right. the left. They'll be hailed as being culturally responsive. So earlier we talked about the role that the state attorney generals are playing in in, in the issue of Title Seven and Title Nine, but. This is something parents have to get involved in. Yes, parents must get involved. Parents in Chicago should absolutely reject this as an option and demand that it stop. Um, school is is uh, is compulsory, and the idea that that this would be included on the list of things that parents are compelled to tolerate. Is but ridiculous. don't think it's isolated to Chicago. No, that's every right. parent ought to be asking questions. Uh, and we've got some resources available for parents to, to help the yes. probing process to find out what's going on. Yes, we do. We have a great pamphlet on sex education in public schools that's available on our website. Um, we have, uh, you can send us an email at uh, tipline at frc.org. And if you have something you want to report to us, we get reports right. about the Chicago public school sex ed from time to time. Um, and, and it's not just, you know, fifth graders. It's bad all the way up. Okay. All right, Meg, we're going to have to leave it there. We're out of time for today, but uh, you'll be back Friday. We'll talk more about uh, education issues on Friday. So, folks, tune in for that. In the meantime, check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, Keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.